All right. Evening. <laughs> you can tell when uh, summertime hits, Wednesday uh, thins out a little bit. But I'm glad to see everybody that made it out. So we are uh, in, still in the book of Isaiah. Going to be for a little while. Uh, but we are in chapter 38 tonight. Uh, last week, we saw the, the event that we'd been alluding to for probably the last six weeks or so. Uh, this, when Assyria finally came to Jerusalem, went to attack it, um, an angel of the Lord went through and one night killed 185,000 Assyrians. And my favorite verse, in the morning they woke up and behold, they were dead. Uh, uh, so anyway, so we finally saw that big victory, saw the king of Assyria, went back to, uh, to his palace with his tail between his legs, saw, uh, you know, what happened to him. So we're going to, where we pick up tonight, it's still part of the, you know, historical section of Isaiah, where he's not really giving a whole lot of prophecy. There's a little bit in here. Uh, but he's talking about some events that are also recorded in Chronicles and Kings, and uh, specifically about Hezekiah. And I was talking to my wife about this. There's a song I used to sing, and some of you uh, may, may know this song, but I just couldn't help but think of it as I'm uh, studying this passage. And the song was, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Die. Do you know that song? I'm not going to sing it tonight, but there's a section in that song where it says, Once upon a time there was a man, his name was Hezekiah. He walked with God both day and night, but he didn't want to die. And then it goes on from there. So we're going to learn about what that song's about uh, tonight. But anyway, let's go ahead and we'll pray and we'll get into it. Uh, Lord, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to gather together tonight um, and be able to sing songs of praise and worship, to fellowship together. And God, that you've preserved your word for us, that we can see how you worked uh, in the lives of kings and prophets and, and everyday people. And how uh, mankind's heart hasn't really changed. And, and we're so thankful that your heart toward mankind has absolutely not changed. So Lord, we just pray that you would help us to understand your word better tonight. And through that, to understand you better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, Isaiah 38, verse 1. It says, In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. So this is in those days after that big battle, or maybe right around that time, depending on uh, how we look at it. It says, And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. That is not the visit you want from the preacher, Right? You don't want the, the, the prophet to show up and go, hey, by the way, you're not recovering from this. I remember, uh, you know, there's been many times where I've visited people in the hospital, and I've started to figure out, like, better etiquette on when to go and when not to go, because there were a few times where I showed up and realized that I just terrified these people, because they thought, you know, they hadn't heard the, what the doctor had to say, and then in walks one of the pastors, and they're like, oh no, what does that mean? I'm like, no, I'm just, I was in the neighborhood, but anyway, (laughs) 
So Amos, son of Amos, uh, Isaiah comes and says, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Set your house in order. You know, what does that mean? It's not just a financial thing. It, certainly that's a factor, right? Proverbs 13, I think it's verse 22, says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children and even to his children's children. Uh, you know, so you should, you should plan for what happens when you're gone. Um, get a will, a power of attorney, maybe some life insurance. <laughs> I'm not giving you an advertisement. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the camera pans to Scotty. No. <laughs> no, you know, there, there are definitely things that are, uh, it's a good, you'd be wise, be a good steward to plan for what happens when you're not around. But more than that, or in addition to that, it's worth thinking about, like, have I left the proper information with the people that matter to me? In other words, have I said the things that I've thought and meant to say but never did? Have I made sure that they know the things that I think are most important? Have I made sure that they know about Jesus? Have I made sure that, you know, I've done everything I can do to equip them with what little bit of wisdom I have? So all those are true, but I don't know whether that's exactly what Isaiah is getting at or not. But We know from 2 Kings that Hezekiah was about 39 at the time. So he's a young guy, uh, relatively. And he didn't yet have an heir to the throne. So he didn't have any kids yet. So he says, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Verse 2, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, and he prayed to the Lord. And he said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. It's not the response you think of from the, the first godly king Israel has had maybe ever or at least in a long time. Verse 4, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I have seen your tears, he says. You know that God cares about your sorrow. Even the things that just bum you out a little bit. He cares about it. Psalm 56, verse 8, it says, uh, the psalmist says, you keep track of all my sorrows. Not just the big devastating things. All my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. And you have recorded each one in your book. So here's the question, though. Did, did Hezekiah's tears change God's mind. In Numbers 23, um, 18 or 19, 
Moses says that God is, is not a man that he should lie, uh, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. That God, he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't get like, you know, oh, I never thought of that one. You know, he doesn't have that moment. But God, you know, he only answers with a yes uh, when we ask according to his will, is what his word says. And in 1 John 5, verse 14, it says this, uh, This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So when God says yes to your prayer, it's because it was in accordance with his will. So this is where it gets a little murky, though, right? These are questions that people have wrestled with forever. Uh, can you change God's mind? Can you petition the Lord with prayer? You know, can you change his mind? Well, he already told us that he do, that's not a thing he does, right? His mind doesn't change. Um, but there's, there's uh, this thing called God's perfect will and God's permissive will. And what I mean by that is, here is God's perfect plan. This is the absolute best thing for you. You know, if you leave it up to him and, and this is exactly what he designed you for, this is his perfect will. But he has his permissive will. This, is, this isn't necessarily the best thing for you, but if this is what you really want, if you really want this, I'll let you have it. I remember one time I took... Uh, one of my sons to the store to get his first big boy bicycle. And, uh, you know, we looked at all the different bikes, and I went in there, you know, it was an exciting thing. I wanted, I would, I would have bought him any bike in the store. And he picks out, like, the cheapest bike. And I said, are you sure, buddy, you, you don't want this one? And No, this is, I want this one. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, you know, we'll get the one you want. And so we bought his bike, and on the way home, I was like, so why did you pick that one? And he says, well, I didn't think we could afford the other one. He didn't know I would have bought him the most expensive bike in the store. He missed out. Uh, that was my permissive will. If that's what you want, I'll let you have that. But I had something better for you. He, he may have something better in mind for you, but if you want it your way, here you go. So here's the thing is you might, you might get what you want, but you might not want what you get. Was it, was it Garth Brooks that has that? Was it a, did he sing that country song, uh, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers or something like that? Yeah, some of you just thought of an ex-girlfriend that you're like, no, good Lord, thank you. <laughs> I dodged that bullet, right? Um, but no, God may give you what you want, but it may not be what would have been the best thing for you. So why do, why do we pray at all? Right? Uh, well, James says that you have not because you ask not, right? Um, God may have something great for you, but he wants you to be involved in it. You know, talk to me, and I'll talk to you, and we'll have this dialogue back and forth. 
And Jesus teaches us that the way that's supposed to work is you, you let him know what you want, what you think. Here's what I'm going through. But not my will, yours be done. I'm, I'm totally willing to take what you think is best. So I just suggest that you quit giving God suggestions on how to answer your prayer. Uh, he may, he, I guarantee he has a better plan than yours, you know. Uh, but Hezekiah, he prays for what he thinks is going to be best, and God says, all right, if, you, if that's what you really want, I'll give you 15 more years. Isaiah 38, verse 6. He says, I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Uh, and this shall be a sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he's spoken. Behold, I will cause the shadow on the stairway which has gone down with the sun on the stairway of Ahaz to go back ten steps. So the sun's shadow went back ten steps on the stairway on which it had gone down. Uh, your Bible may say like the sundial or whatever. It was, it, it was both. It was a way of keeping time that Ahaz's father had built. But it was basically like a staircase, and as the sun hit each stair, it was like a different time of day. And as a sign, God says, all right, I'm going to cause the shadow to move backwards. I'm going to cause time to back up as a sign to you that this is what I'm going to do. You may have seen this uh, in an email years ago or um, you know, a Facebook post. Sometimes you'll see it go around where you know, NASA couldn't get their calculations right until they factored in, you know, when uh, God made the sun stand still for Joshua and, and all that stuff. That's not true. I'm not saying that stuff didn't happen, but that is an urban legend, right? That NASA never went to the Bible and, and calculated their orbital uh, calculations based on that. So don't forward that stuff. It's not true. But either way, God did do something, something miraculous, to convince Hezekiah that it's going to be okay. And so then we get this thing that it's basically, it's called Hezekiah's Psalm. Hezekiah writes some things down, uh, you know, about how he was feeling during this time. Verse 9, it says, uh, Writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. I said, in the middle of my life, I am to enter the gates of Sheol. I am to be deprived of the rest of my years. So, he's 39. Most of us call that middle age, I guess. right? He says, in the middle of my life, I'm being deprived of the years I should have. So, you know, is there such a thing as dying too young? Obviously, we can all think of people that were taken from us at a time we feel it was too, too early, too young. Moses says this, though, about our time on earth. In, Mo, uh, in the 90th Psalm, this is one of the Psalms Moses wrote. Verse 10, it says, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. So in other words, even if you get 80 years, it's that quick. 
It's still too quick. James says that our life is like a vapor. It's like mist, just kind of here and gone. Verse 11, who understands the power of your anger and your fury, uh, fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. In other words, don't assume that you have 70 more years or 40 more years or 20 more years or whatever the number is. We should number our days. And he says that gives us a heart of wisdom to, to know that life is short. Wisdom comes from that. Think of how many unwise people had their life end after saying the words, hey y'all, watch this, right? Because they were not numbering their days. They, they assumed they had more time uh, than they had. But here's something to consider as we read on here. Most of the Jews in the Old Testament didn't really have a concept of heaven or, or eternal life or a resurrection like we have. Now, it's present in God's Word from the very earliest writings. It's in there. But not everybody understood it that way. Even in Jesus' time, remember there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the group of Jews who didn't believe in life after death. So they were sad, you see. It's not what that word literally means, but that's, it, that's how I remember it. Um, and so it was present in God's word, but for the most part, most of the, the Jewish people who lived in the Old Testament considered this life as all there is, right? And so God gave you favor by blessing you with money and, you know, health and wealth and all that stuff. And then you just kind of blinked out, which is how, to be fair, to be honest, most, a lot of people in the world still think, right? This life is all there is, and then you become worm food. And so Hezekiah has that kind of worldview. Isaiah 38, verse 11, it says, I said, I will not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I will look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. Like a shepherd's tent, my dwelling is pulled up and removed from me. As a weaver, I rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. Uh, from, the loom. from day until night, you make an end of me. I composed my soul until morning like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From day until night, you make an end of me. Like a swallow, like a crane, so I twitter. He's not tweeting, but he, he says, I'm, I'm acting like a, you know, like a swallow. I'm just, you know, he's whining, he's crying. That's what he's describing, you know. I moan like a dove. My eyes look wistfully to the heights. Oh, Lord, I'm oppressed by my security. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I will wander about all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. Oh, Lord, by these things men live, and in all these uh, is the life of my spirit. Oh, restore me to health and let me live. Lo, for my own welfare... I had great bitterness. It is you who has, who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. 
See, that's what he thinks is waiting. But he does have some wisdom here. He says, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Even if he doesn't have a clear picture of the afterlife, he at least understands that his sin is paid for. That God has paid for his sin somehow. In the 103rd Psalm, verse 12, that you see similar language, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's how, that's how God has dealt with our sin. He cast it as far as the east is from the west never to be remembered again. Which is funny because the devil loves to remind us of our sin. Right, so he at least understands this. He, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm headed for the pit of nothingness, but at least you, you have paid for my sin. And then he kind of goes back to negotiating. Isaiah 38, verse 18. He says, For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. In other words, I, you know, I want to praise you and be thankful and all this stuff, but I can't because you're sending me into the grave. It's a nice negotiating trick, you know, no, negotiating tactic. But he, he hit on something wise there, right? That there are no second chances. There's no purgatory. There's no, like, holding cell where maybe I can you know, eventually work my way out of it. Hebrews 9.27 says that in as much as it is appointed for men to die once, and then after this comes judgment. There's, uh, there's no scriptural uh, support for uh, purgatory or for, you know, you die and then you can still work your way into heaven or somebody can pray you there or any of that stuff. Isaiah 38, verse 19, it says, It is the living who give thanks to you. Right? He just said, I, when I'm in the grave, I can't be thankful, and I can't talk about how great you are. Only the living can do that. It is the living who give thanks to you, as I do today. And then here it is. He says, A father tells his sons about your faithfulness. The Lord will surely save me, so we will play my songs on stringed instruments all the days of our life at the house of the Lord. So there it is. There's his big carrot, right? But God, I don't have an heir. Right? I don't have a son yet. And if you give me one, then I'll, I'll sing all your praises. I'll teach him all about you. That's basically what he's saying. Because without a clear picture of eternity, that's the only way Hezekiah can think of that he can have a legacy, that he can live on, right? It's through his, through his son. And so God, we already saw, right? God did, in fact, give him 15 more years. And in that 15 years that God gave him, he does father a son. His son uh, is named Manasseh. Here's briefly what the Bible says about Manasseh. Second Chronicles 33, verse 1. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. That's a, that's a long reign, right? There's something wrong with your political system when 
a mummy can become president and when a 12-year-old can become, can become king, right? There's, there should be something in, in between those is where leaders should be chosen. But anyway, verse 2, he did what? He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. We just talked about that last week, right? That was the, one of the big crowning achievements of Hezekiah's life as he finally brought down the high places that all the other wicked kings, God had told them to take them down and they never would. This guy right away builds them back up. He rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He also erected altars for the Baals and made Asherim and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. That means he worshipped demons. He worshipped anything and everything but God. Read on here, verse 6. It says, He made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. That means that was Molech worship. He sacrificed his own children to this demon. He practiced witchcraft. He used divination. He practiced sorcery. He dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Thus Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. You might get what you want might not want what you get. We'll read on. Isaiah 38, verse 21. It says, Now Isaiah had said, Let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. So whatever it is that uh, Hezekiah had, it manifested itself in some sort of tumor or sore or boil. Uh, verse 22, then Hezekiah had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? So, so Isaiah, he says, prepare this basically like a poultice of, of figs and herbs. And we're going to apply that to this, this sore you've got. And that was a common uh, treatment for cancers and ulcers and things like that at the time. The only reason I point that out is, is God does heal Hezekiah. And he healed him through a combination of prayer, of medicine, and the miraculous. Right? God heals all sorts of ways. And some people have this impression that if you depend on medicine for healing, that, that you're somehow in sin. And that's, we see it over and over in the scripture where that's recognized as an advisable thing. Even Jesus, when he healed some people, there were times where he did things, like you know when he spit in the dirt and rubbed it on them. I, the dirt didn't matter, but the point was he used something physical to, that people were used to seeing as a treatment. Um, so God can still, you know, he absolutely can heal any way he wants, but very often he does it through doctors, and that's okay. Isaiah 39, verse 1, it says, At that time... Mordach uh, Baladon, son of Baladon, king of Babylon, say that three times fast, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. 
So Mordech uh, Baladon, he's um, a Babylonian prince who eventually, uh, well, he, he led a revolt against Assyria they, and recaptured Babylon, and then he ruled it for about a decade. Then Assyria came, and they drove him out, uh, and so he's gone for like five years. Then he came back and recaptured it, and then about three years later, he lost it again. So it was back and forth, back and forth. And this is before Babylon is a real world power, right? They're going to become one, you know, in, in the next 50 years or so from this time. Uh, but he's looking for allies, right? He keeps getting, you know, he captures his ground, recaptures his city, and then he gets ran off again. And it says that he sent gifts to uh, Hezekiah because he had recovered from being sick. But I'm pretty sure he also heard that Hezekiah just, defeated 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, right? I'm pretty sure that was a factor. Second Chronicles 32 talks about this. Uh, verse 22, it says, So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. And many were bringing gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and choice presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah. So that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. So he's been receiving gifts from all kinds of places, right? Then in verse 31, it says this. It says, even in the matter of the envoys of the rulers of Babylon. So in other words, the people that Mordak Baladon sent. Uh, who sent to him to inquire of the wonder that had happened in the land. God left him alone only to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. So in other words, God allows the Babylonians to send these people to Hezekiah to test him. So let's see how he does on the test. Isaiah 39, verse 2, it says, Hezekiah was pleased, and he showed them all his treasure house. The silver and the gold and the spices and the precious oils. Remember, he's been getting gifts from everybody. Plus, they had just, uh, you know, all those soldiers that died outside of Jerusalem, they went and looted all of their stuff, right? And so he got all of his gold and silver back that he had, he had tried to pay Sennacherib off with. So he's got all that back and then some, right? He's, he's rolling in it. And he's showing them around. He sh- shows them his treasure house, the silver and gold and the spices, the precious oil and, and his whole armory, it would be like if we took you know, a foreign dignitor, uh, dignitary in and said, let me show you around the Pentagon. Let me show you all of our top secret stuff. Have you seen our new fighter jets that we're developing? You know, he shows them around his armory, all that was found in his treasuries. And there was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah did not show them. That's some self-promotion, right? That's the stuff we see on social media, right? Look at my new car and look at my new pool house and you know, look at all my stuff. It's pride. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, You younger men, you notice he, he starts with younger men because younger men tend to be most prone to this. As we get older, we've been kicked around enough that we start to lose some of this, Hopefully. He says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves 
under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. Proverbs 27, 2, I love this. I've quoted this to my sons and they kind of get it and sometimes they don't. But it says this, Let another praise you and not your own mouth. We all know the guy that can't help but brag on himself. And it's gross, right? Like even if what he says is true, you're like, I don't want, like I just don't even want to hear it. But if he didn't say it himself, we would probably all say it about him in a positive way. But let another praise you, not your own mouth. So Hezekiah, he's, he's bragging, right? Isaiah 39, verse 3, it says, Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where have they come to you? And Hezekiah said, Oh, they have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. Do you notice Isaiah asked him two questions, and Hezekiah only answers one. We tend to think that distance um, decreases danger, right? Like when we think of threats to our country, it's hard to fathom a, a threat being halfway around the world, right? We're more concerned with what's closer to home. So it's hard to like, make those threats seem real because they're so far away. And the farther in advance that you're warned of something, the more likely you are to just put it off. That's why smokers continue to smoke because, well, I haven't got cancer yet until you do. That's how it works. Ben likes to uh, remind me of this, that dates on the calendar are closer than they appear. You know. So he, he sees Babylon as, they're no threat. They came from way far away. What's the big deal? Verse 4 says, uh, he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, well, they've seen all that is in my house. There's nothing among my treasuries that I've not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day. See, he, Isaiah reminds him, all that treasure, most of that wasn't yours. Most of that Solomon stored up. Right? Your fathers, you're not even the one responsible for the thing that you're bragging about. Which is how we do it, right? People brag about their, their physical appearance that they had nothing to do with. He says, you know, you're just a steward but, of this stuff. But anyway, uh, all that is in your house, all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons who will issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away, and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. That is the first time we get a specific prophecy about what we call the Babylonian captivity, which is a huge part of the Old Testament. The Babylonian captivity, it happens in stages. Uh, in 606 B.C., Babylon comes in and they capture all the royalty. 
all the nobles and the smartest people. And in that group, that's when they get Daniel and Meshach and Radshach and Abednego and all, you know, they get those guys. And then about 10 years later, they get another wave of people. That's where they capture Ezekiel. And Ezekiel prophesies from captivity in Babylon. And then about 10 years after that, they go in and just destroy the temple and destroy Jerusalem. It's a big deal. And it all, part of how all that happens is these, these envoys saw all that Hezekiah had and they went back and reported it. And about 50 years later, when this guy Nebuchadnezzar comes along and becomes king, he looks through the, the records and he says, there's a lot of cash in this place called Jerusalem. Let's go check it out. Verse 8 says, Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he thought, For there will be peace and truth in my days. That's weird. He just heard that his kingdom is going to fall, that uh, they're going to go into captivity, that all the treasure that he has is eventually going to be taken away. And he says... That's good. Because God's word is good, even when it hurts. So we're running a little bit long. Here's, uh, we'll try to wrap it up. A couple things we can take from this. Flattery and pride can drown your discernment. Hezekiah was a wise king until he wasn't. Until he got flattered and puffed up with pride and pride goes before destruction before fall yeah set your house in order no matter how long you have it's not going to be as long as you think and the date on that calendar is closer than you think And also, suffering is part of the ride. Right? Hezekiah was at least humble enough to go, God's still good, even though I know what's coming. Augustine, one of the church fathers, he said this, that God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. We're going to read one little passage again and we'll close there. Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 21, he says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. Remember Hezekiah, the idea of dying terrified him. He could only think of living on in the flesh. And Paul says, I know what is on the other side, and it's tough for me to decide which is preferable. Verse 23, But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Let's be honest. Heaven is better than anything here. Verse 24, Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. If you're still here in the flesh, on planet Earth, moving around and breathing, it is at least in part so that you can have an impact on other people. 
think about that this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that, uh, that you've blessed us to have yet another day. We thank you that you're merciful. Uh, and Lord, that we know you don't owe us another breath. But we're thankful that we're here. We're thankful that uh, there's good work to be done in your name. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to not be puffed up with pride. Help us to see where we can be your hands and feet. Where we can, uh, what we can do to set our house in order to, to leave an inheritance to our family in the right way. And Lord, don't let us be like Hezekiah and with the time we have left, do the wrong things. Lord, let us make the best of our time, for the days are short. We thank you for your son. We pray these things in his name. We pray it comes and comes quickly. And all God's people said, amen. All right, ready? Break. Break.